Please be seated. Good morning. I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. And if you're uh, visiting with us again, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, We're in a series on the book of Mark and the gospel of Mark. And we're going to be in chapter 7 this morning, looking at chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. So if you're using one of your pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 842 of that Bible. If you need one, there should be one in a chair somewhere near you. And as we're looking at Mark, really the first half of the book of Mark, we're talking about this theme in Mark that he presents to us Jesus who is the King. Jesus is our King. And so week in and week out as we go through Mark, we're talking about what does it mean that he's our King? What are are the implications for us? And that's where we'll be again this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll turn to the Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Um, We thank you that you are here with us even now as you promised to be by your Spirit. And we thank you that as we open the pages of Scripture, this is your word, and it does speak. Would you give us ears to hear? Lord, would you use it uh, for our good to challenge us, to comfort us, to change us, to draw us near you? It's in the name of Jesus that we do pray. Amen. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus... With some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it's written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, there, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not in his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and so to it we, we turn this morning. So I've been thinking about this text uh, th- this week. It, it has to do, as we're going to see, with, with cleanness and, and protections of cleanness. And I, So I was thinking about this. I'm reminded of uh, um, a 
my wife Elizabeth and I a number of years ago took a group of students to Romania for the summer. And if you, you've known some of the, the travel risks, if you've traveled overseas, especially in a, in a on a trip like this, we went for the summer. We stayed with families. We stayed at camps in the uh, in in um, the countryside, and we were leading English camps and doing things like that. Very different than when you go and stay in a hotel and sort of eat at restaurants of your choice. You know, you're staying with families, and so you eat everything that's given to you. You want to you want to honor your host and your hostess, and um, you're traveling. You're being exposed to germs from the other side of the world that are not the ones you're used to. So that was the summer when when uh, I, I was really first in a serious way introduced to Purell. It seemed like every time we turned around, we were wiping our hands down, trying to make sure we didn't catch something, which we inevitably did anyway. Uh, and as we were working with students and out in the countryside, you know, one of the things that happened over the course of that very hot summer was that we didn't necessarily get to take a shower every day, which was a new experience for some of us on the team. And you become aware of things like, not only do I need to be careful of the things that are coming my way, what am I emitting to the world around me? And so one of the girls on our trip, she came up with the solution. She had some sort of lavender body spray, and she would spray herself, and we referred to this as instead of shower spray. Um, you know, again, with that thought of like, what what do we need to do to pr- to protect ourselves, or how are we being perceived, and all these kinds of issues of, of really of cleanness. Okay, now that's what's happening in our passage this morning. Uh, but we're going to see that um, that that it has to do with a very different kind of cleanness. Okay, so we're gonna, as we dive in here, we're going to see that in, in relation to this, that Mark's telling us and Jesus is telling us that that we ha- that we have a problem. That it runs deeper than we think, and then it tells us it tells us something of what we're to do about that problem. So first, that, w- that we have a problem. Okay, the scene opens up here, and Jesus is being confronted once again by the Pharisees, the religious professionals, the guardians of uh, the Jewish law, and highly respected by the people around them. Uh, sort of the the ones who do it all who do it all right. And they come to Jesus and say, uh, you know, we noticed that your disciples don't wash their hands. Before they eat. And why is it? Why don't they hold to the tradition of the elders? And Jesus talks back and forth and he, he mentions the fact that they have all kinds of traditions of washing the, the, um, the kettles that they use to cook and washing their plates. And when they come back from the market, going through these ritual washings. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, don't tell me that Jesus is going to say that it's bad to wash my hands and do the dishes, right? Because when, when we hear about these issues, well, of, of course they wash their hands before they ate. And we would do the same thing, and we make our kids do it, and we do it. And if they had Purell, they would have pulled it out, and so do we. Because when we think about this, we're thinking about, think about all the germs you can get and how you can get sick. Now, that is not what they are talking about. Okay, this is several centuries before you know modern germ theory. Okay, that's, that's not what's happening. Now, what is happening is that the Pharisees are coming and accusing them of breaking the Jewish ceremonial laws. Because in Jewish culture, there were, um, given by God, there were, there were rules about things that are clean and unclean, things that you can be in contact with and things that you can't. And if you were to touch something, for instance, that was ceremonially unclean, then you would become ceremonial unclean. And you would, you would have to go through a certain washing process before you could enter the temple before you could enter back into the regular worship of God's people. So, for instance, I mean, you may be familiar with kosher laws. You can't eat pork if you're Jewish. Uh, you can't eat shellfish. There are certain kinds of foods that were considered unclean. And all through this, God in the Old Testament is teaching his people a lesson. We're going to talk more about this in a minute. But that they are separate, that they're different. Now, here's what happened with 
the Pharisees, though. Jesus comes and says, essentially, not only are you, are you holding to the clean laws, he's, he's pointing out that they've actually created laws on top of laws, the tradition of the elders. He's saying that you have so created this vast array of traditions that you hold that to be more important than God is himself. And you hold that to be more important what God, than what God says himself. But here... Just this first point is that they thought that we had a cleanness problem. Now, Jesus agreed with them. Okay, we're going to see that he disputes a lot of things that they say. But first and foremost, he agrees because he, when he goes back and forth, he says, you think this defiles you. Let me tell you what really defiles you. But you see what he's saying is you're right in this sense. There is something, there are things that make us unclean, that defile us somehow, and that matters. Now, do you ever get that feeling that somehow maybe something's wrong with you? That at some level, maybe there is something that's dirty or defiled or unclean. Maybe you see that in times when you're just not expecting it. You see it when you say something and you think, where did that come from? As it comes leaping out of your mouth. Or uh, you do something and you think, how? Where, how was I capable of that? Or something you think and you realize if, if somebody could see into my head right now, I'd be in a lot of trouble or at least very embarrassed or I'd run because where did that come from? And what if when you experience that, the feeling that you feel is not just false guilt? What if it's not just the product of a poor self-image that doesn't embrace your words and your thoughts and your actions? What if it can't be glossed over by just trying to make yourself feel better this way by saying, you know, okay, that's true, but it's not as bad as what that guy said. Or, uh, you know, you think my, act- my actions are bad. You ought to see my neighbor or the people who live on my, on my hall in my dorm. Um, that we see at some level that We can't even excuse ourselves in that way because Jesus affirms, just as the Pharisees say, that there's something, there's something wrong. But we go on and we see here even uh, more fully that Jesus says that what is wrong with us is deeper than we think. Okay, again, the Pharisees had this idea of of our ceremonial uncleanness, and here is the problem with the way they were approaching it and what Jesus criticizes. He says the way you are looking at the issues of your life are missing the mark because they are external, external, and fixable. They're external and fixable. External. You see that they are caught up when all these rules on the things that they eat, that what they take into their bodies is going to somehow defile them, the things that they touch. They've been to the marketplace. They've touched something unclean. They come home, and it's going to defile their whole lives, their unclean contact with dishes and with people. And so what is their solution to this? They do two things. They wash up and they build up. Okay? They, first, they wash up. Their solution is these ceremonial washings. And again, there are some of these that are given to us in the Old Testament, but what they have done is they have taken the commands of God and not only washed up, they've built up. They've built up a wall, or more uh, appropriately, as, as they would refer to it themselves, they've built up a fence. They've put a fence around the Word of God. And it was the tradition of the elders that was designed to keep you not only from breaking God's law, but even from getting two or three steps away from breaking God's law. So, for example, uh, a devout Jew would not write down the revealed name of God, Yahweh, would not write that on a piece of paper. And when in the synagogue, when they were reading from the Old Testament and they got to that word that says Yahweh, which is you'd find in your own Old Testament written in, uh, in capitalized letters, 
when they read that word, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai. They would say Lord. They would insert something else because they didn't want to even get close to the commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, you can see there's something admirable about that, a seriousness about God and his holiness. But Jesus comes and says, you have made all kinds of rules. And what you've done is you've built up this edifice, this fence around everything. And you've lost yourself in the weeds. And you've given yourself and trusting in yourself in your ability to keep all of these rules. You see, their approach to God had become doable. If I'm just very careful about what I touch in the marketplace, if I'm just very careful to come and wash my hands afterwards, if I'm very careful not to expose myself to the wrong things, then I can be and will be clean. And I can know that I am right with God. How do you do that? What's your, instead of shower spray, that you put on? What are the things for you and for me where we think... If I can just polish this up a little bit, at least on the outside, it will look good. What's your Purell to protect yourself from the world around you? The things that you use to make yourself acceptable and clean and good. Spotless church attendance. Tithing. Community volunteer work. Giving blood. Giving six or seven pints more than they asked for, which I'm thankful for. Maybe it's, your, uh, maybe it's your highbrow book club. Maybe it's your beautiful home. Maybe it's your right car or right friends. What are the things that we look to to make us clean, to make us acceptable in the eyes of others, in the eyes of our God? That is what they were doing. And Jesus comes in and says, you're right, we are unclean, but your answer to this is so far off because it is external and doable. And Jesus comes and says, no, our problem is internal and it's desperate. It's internal and it's desperate. He says, our problem is not in the externals like our food. Look at verses 15 through 19. Jesus breaks it down for him. He says, look, the food comes into your mouth, goes into your stomach, and it goes out of your body, and it never touches your heart. It never touches your heart. Because he says, verse 18, the problem is, in fact, our hearts. In the biblical way of talking about it, sort of New Testament and Old Testament, the heart is the center of your being. It's, it's your will, it's your emotions, it's your volitional drive, all of it tied together. It's the core of who you are. And everything that we do flows out of our hearts. And Jesus says, you know, our, our uncleanness, the, the thing that plagues us most really, is in fact that deep in us. It is our hearts. That's the problem. This, is, this idea of the heart and the, the centrality of it is, is a consistency theme. It runs all the way through the Bible. Um, in Deuteronomy 10, as God is giving instructions through Moses to his people, he says this, Moses says this in, in very graphic Old Testament language. He says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. See what he's saying? There's a heart problem and you need to be changed, operated on. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus says in Matthew 12, Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. He says elsewhere, where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, everything you say flows straight out of your heart. Everything you do flows out of the things you treasure most in your heart. That is really where we live. Um, 
Elizabeth and I, a couple years ago, we, we had some new carpet put down in, in part of our house. And I, I love new carpet, don't you? Especially because we have kids and you can get down on the carpet and you can play. And new carpet is just great for a couple weeks, right? And then, and then you, you're, you're vacuuming it. And uh, after a while, we've, we found sooner or later the vacuuming doesn't do it. You, you get to the point where you have to bring in the big guns. You have to bring in the steam cleaner. And uh, so, so we did this, and, and they come, they steam clean our carpets, and, and you walk back into the room, and you're like, wow, this is about 95% as great as it was at the first, but it looks good. And it's like that for about two days. And then what happens? You notice that all those old stains start to actually reappear, which was really disheartening after we paid to have this done. Uh, but because what happens is that there are some things that get in there that stains that run so deep that though you can clean it off on the surface sooner or later, they're just going to seep right back up again. Because that cleaning doesn't get to the very heart of the issue. It doesn't really get to the depth of the defilement and the stain. And Jesus is saying, that is our problem. We have a stain that runs all the way through. That we have an issue with our hearts. And as much as we try to clean things up and brush them up on the outside, our hearts will always be seeping through. Can't be kept down. That's why we face these questions ourselves. And we look, we look and we do and we, we think, how did I do that incredibly selfish thing right there? I thought I had my selfishness under control. Why do we react in anger? Why do we tell lies, little or big, to protect ourselves or our reputation? We've got a way of talking about those. Those are white lies. Why do we run from, even if only for a few hours, the responsibilities of our lives by drowning them and endless entertainment and diversion. What drives us to do that? You know, as we've all been watching uh, the news and reading papers the last couple of weeks, as we, we see this incredible oil spill in the Gulf, reading about what's happening, their attempts to clean it up, and they're trying to attack the problem from all levels. You know, if, if all they were to do to clean this up was to go and, and do whatever method they do to try to skim the oil off the top of the, of the water and clean it up that way, they would never be done, right? Because what's happening deep underneath the water, the, you know, there's an open well that is spewing oil out 24-7. That's what Jesus is saying here. Again, that's how deep it runs for us. It is not going to be enough to simply skim it off the top, that there's something that has to be dealt with far below. And Jesus goes on to say, if we miss this idea, then we are going to miss God himself. Because look what he says to the Pharisees. He says it in verses 6 and 7. He quotes Isaiah and he says, Woe to you hypocrites. Of uh, you it was written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, as doctrines, the commandments of men. Do you hear that? He looks at them saying, you're trying to brush it up on the outside. It's not reaching the problem. And when you do that, you're giving only lip service to me. It's not true worship. Because these people were coming to God, not owning up to the real depth of their need. They had shallow needs and a shallow God. God is saying, no, it runs much deeper than that. And until you own up to that, and until your heart is dealt with, then all your good words of worship and all your good deeds even in my name, will be worth nothing because he's come to draw us into true and deep worship and transformation. But caught in this, he says that our worship is vain. So what are we going to do about it? 
we've got a problem. It runs deeper than maybe we want to think sometimes. What are we going to do about it? Well, very clearly here, we get pointed to Jesus, the one who must cleanse us. Jesus must cleanse us. We see that in a, in a couple ways. First, what he does is he wipes away all these attempts that we have to deal with things at a surface level. He just, he just knocks them right off the table. Again, that's what he's doing in verses 7, really all the way through 13, as he goes into some of the details of this, the Jewish law where they say, look, essentially says this, look, you've come up with all these rules, and when you do that, you've actually used your own rules as a loophole to get away from the greater commands of God, like loving your parents. You've found a way around that. See, as soon as you start doing that, building up these rules and coming up with alternative salvation strategies than what God has given you. He says, you miss me. And Jesus comes and says, we will have none of that. And he wipes it all away. The tradition of the elders. Now, even when he does that, something still remains. Because remember, at the core of this, God in the Old Testament does give some clean laws. He does talk about the difference between clean and unclean things. He does talk to his people about maintaining their ritual purity. They really missed the point of what that was really supposed to teach them. That when he says, for instance, don't eat pork, and they looked around at the nations around them, all of whom ate pork, they would see a visual reminder of the fact that they were called to be different. Not so they could be the great people who don't eat bacon, but because they're God's people. And the world around them, the nations around them weren't. And that was it's meant to be a reminder to them. Their salvation was not in the cleanness of their food, but it pointed them to the fact that they served a holy God. And it was meant to be an indicator to them that just as God is holy and we are not, these clean and unclean things were meant to be an indication to them that God is clean and we need his cleansing all the time. It was not a system to manage, but it was to drive them to God. And do you see what Jesus does here? He comes in verse 19 when he says, okay, the food comes in and it goes out, has nothing to do with your heart. Mark gives us the gloss on the effect of what Jesus was saying there in verse 19. He says, and that's the way that Jesus declared all foods clean. Okay, we need to let the, the magnitude of that sink in just for a minute. Here's what it's like. My children... Oh, not my children. Your children jump on the sofa, I'm sure. Okay, my children. Jump on the sofa. You walk in the family room. Henry, you can't jump on the sofa. You know that already. Get off. You can't be on the sofa for the rest of the evening. Wine, wine, wine. Yes, daddy. Okay. Uh, I walk out of the room. If Caroline were to come in and say, Henry, you can get back on the sofa and jump. It's all right. I'd come running back in and going, no. <laughs> no, you can't. Why? Because my five-year-old daughter does not have the authority to reverse what I just said, right? Now, God said to his people, these things are clean and these are not. You're to uphold these rules. Jesus steps on the scene and says, those don't apply anymore. So one of two things is happening. Either Jesus is being the five-year-old coming in and is going to get in trouble with daddy. Or, as Mark presents him, the king has come God has come, and the one who has the authority, who gave the command, now has the authority to say it no longer applies. He comes as the rightful king and declares that. And there's one other hitch in this. Jesus elsewhere in Matthew, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, to simply wipe it away as if it doesn't matter. I've come to fulfill the law. Every little jot and tittle, every little mark on the manuscript, he says, I'm going to fulfill. When Jesus comes and says, 
All foods are clean. He was saying this. This no longer applies because it has been fulfilled. What the clean laws pointed to, the reality has now come and stepped into its place. And in a way that would have been greater than they could have grasped at this moment, they would soon learn as this Jesus they followed went to the cross and died and rose again. What we see here is a Savior who comes and says, I have fulfilled these clean laws, and now, in fact, you don't have to watch what you eat because you have been made clean in me. Jesus, the sinless one, the one who never broke any laws of any kind, ceremonial or otherwise, the one who came in and brings now to us the very cleanness that we need. Jesus comes and says, this will not make you clean, only to be found in me. You see, his cleanness overcomes our uncleanness. Now, we saw an, an illustration of this as he, as he, as he healed people uh, a few weeks ago, if you've been with us in the series. Back in Mark 5, uh, a bleeding woman comes to Jesus as he's walking through the crowd, and she, she grabs onto the edge of his cloak, his, uh, his robe, and she is immediately healed. Now, she had a disease because she was bleeding that would have made her ceremonially unclean. And when there is a person who is ceremonially unclean, if you touch that person, you become unclean as well. But something unheard of happened when she reached out and touched Jesus' cloak. First, she was healed. But secondly, she came, she came across a, a new law of the universe. And that is that when uncleanness touches cleanness, no longer does uncleanness win. But when uncleanness touches Jesus, that which is clean wins. That which is clean erases what is unclean. That which is clean comes in and heals and restores and makes whole and perfect and acceptable before God. That our cleanness is found in Jesus I mentioned a minute ago that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that there's this uh, exhortation of the people to circumcise your hearts, to get them straight. And then by the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 30, as the people have seen their inability to do this, it says this, No longer circumcise your heart, but this, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. It's what David was praying for in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. It's what the prophet Ezekiel had in mind when he said this, speaking for God, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, even in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to this moment when they would finally be made clean from the inside out. And Jesus says, in me that has come. You can, in fact, be made clean. You can, in fact, be made whole. And it's not by our surface solutions. It's not by polishing things up. But coming to Jesus with the very darkness of our heart that he might forgive us and cleanse us and heal us. And he promises to do exactly that. And when we come in the shallowness of our attempts to fix ourselves, what does he say to the Pharisees? He says, look, your worship of me is in vain. 
Because you don't know your need and you don't know my meeting of that need at this very point of its depth and its darkness. What happens when we come and find true healing and true cleansing? We find true worship. Springing now from hearts that are not simply trying to get it right, but hearts that are responding in gratitude to a Savior who has gotten it right for us. Hearts that come thankful and free before our God because we know that the issue between us and God has been taken care of. Our sin has been atoned for. It's been healed. It's been forgiven. It makes us come and worship. And it makes us go and live lives of worship. As we go out into the world, seeking now to really honor God with our lives, with every bit of it. Seeking rightly to, to live lives of, of holiness and cleanness. Not so we can brush ourselves up, but because we've already been brought home. And now we have the freedom to trust God as he does his work of making us more and more like him. Trusting that at the very heart level our hearts have been healed. That now we can go and really care about the issues of our heart about the uncleanness that remains, all of that, knowing that it is in the hands of God, we can go in that confidence and seek to live lives that are holy, that give glory and pleasure to Him because He's already pleased with us in Jesus. Made clean by Him. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that You would help us cling ever more closely to You. We thank you that our rock-bottom assurance is that you cling to us, and that your cleanness overcomes our uncleanness, that your forgiveness of sin runs as deep and deeper than the sin that we bring to the table, that you are that good to us. Father, would you really drive this home for us and free us to worship, to be thankful as people who have been set free and desire to live lives that are holy, Lives we live in gratitude, in response to your goodness to us. Never in fear, because we've been brought home to our Father. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.